Okay. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> I had this sense of great joy, and I didn't know what it was. And then I found out Anastasia told me it was her nine-month anniversary. <laughs> and, of course, I was just thrilled. <laughs> yes. Somebody that celebrated with the flowers. Four months. Huh? Four months. 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 What we were singing this morning, I just I just had this picture in my mind of you know how a physicist will draw all these molecules and how they're all you know just an intricate this one attached to this one to form these great compounds and stuff, and I just had a picture of the the attributes of God of the mercy and the steadfastness and the faithfulness and they're all attached everywhere and you can't separate any of them. Because they're all attached to each other. The love of God is faithfulness, is grace, is uh, mercy, just everything. Just an, just an infinite chain that's all, it's all God. It's who he is, his goodness. Maybe that's the core. Um, but it's, it's just quite a picture, at least it was for me in my mind. A rare book collector ran into an acquaintance who told him that he had just thrown away an old Bible that he had found in a dusty old box. And the man happened to mention that Guten somebody or another had printed it. And the uh, collector said, not Gutenberg. And the uh, acquaintance said, yeah, that was it. And the collector said, you idiot. You've thrown away one of the first books ever printed, a copy sold at a recent auction for over half a million dollars. And the acquaintance said, oh, I don't really think it would be worth anything like that amount of money. It was scribbled all over in the margins by some guy named Martin Luther. <laughs> you know, being, being able to read doesn't mean we're able to understand. And having knowledge doesn't mean that we've got wisdom. We can be brief yet profound 
or we can breathe we can be brief and leave out a lot of things that are needed for our understanding if we look at psalm 117 we're going to see that it's the shortest of all the psalms it's also the shortest chapter in the bible and let's just take a second and read the 117th psalm all two verses of it (laughs) praise the lord all nations laud him all peoples for his loving kindness is great toward us and the truth of the lord is everlasting praise the lord the shortest chapter in psalm and the shortest chapter in the bible it's brief but it's profound martin luther in his writings on this psalm devoted 36 pages to explain these two verses and the first thing you notice in this psalm is that god calls for all nations and all peoples to praise god Nations in the Hebrew is the word goyim, which is often translated Gentiles. Peoples refer to the great diversity found in nations and ethnic groups everywhere. Together, these words mean that all people everywhere, exactly the same sense that John speaks of, in Revelation 7, 9, where he says, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. So just in that one verse, this is true Christian universalism. Not universalism the way people talk about it today where you're going to be saved no matter what you believe. But Christian universalism means that everybody will be saved through Jesus Christ that believe in him, that place their faith in him. That's Christian universalism. All nations, all people, all tongues, everywhere, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be saved. All people are called to give praise to the God that's revealed in Scripture. And then verse 2 tells us that the reason that all nations and all people, Jews and Gentiles, are called to praise God is because of God's love. It's a love that endures forever, according to the psalm. It endures forever. And verse 2 says, Great is the steadfast love toward us. Great is his steadfast love toward us. And great, of course, in English means something that's large, something that's remarkable, something that's distinguished or supreme. And it means the same thing here, but also in Hebrew, it carries the additional meaning of something having prevailed over something else whether it's something evil or anything at all, it prevails. It's a love that prevails. That's what great means. 
So when the word is used of the love of God for his people, it also has the thought of God of God's love prevailing over every obstacle that comes along. Nothing can stand in the way of the love of God. It prevails over everything. Martin Luther had, a, had many enemies, chiefly from the church. They wanted to kill him. But when he writes about this psalm, this verse, he doesn't think about physical enemies. He doesn't think about people. But he thinks about sin and temptation. This is what he says. Although sin makes itself felt, death bears its teeth, and the devil frightens us, still there is far more grace to prevail over all sin, far more life to prevail over death, and far more God to prevail over all devils. In this kingdom, sin, death, and the devil are nothing more than the black clouds of the material heaven. For a time they may well conceal heaven, but they cannot prevail. They must stay beneath the heavens and suffer it to remain, prevail, and rule over them, and at last they must pass away. Therefore, although sin bites us, us death, sin bites us, death frightens us, and the devil throws his weight around with temptation, there are still they are still only clouds. The heaven of grace prevails and rules. And in the end they must remain below and surrender. And this passage is exactly the same thing that Paul says in Romans eight, where he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life the death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love prevails over everything. Nothing can, nothing can overcome, nothing can thwart the love of God. And verse 2 here also says, and again verse 2, For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The word faithfulness is actually the word amen. And it could equally be translated in English as truth, steadfastness or reliability over time the word came to mean firm or unshakable it was used of God as one of his attributes God alone is utterly unshakable heaven and earth will pass away but God and his word will never pass away so God is spoken of as the amen or the God of truth so what you have is God's love for us is great, it's steadfast, it prevails over any obstacle or enemy, and God is faithful. He's truth, he's steadfast, he's amen. 
if we believe that this verse tells us, or what it tells us, then we can echo the last line of the song where it says, Praise the Lord. After looking at the shortest psalm in the Bible, or the shortest psalm yeah, in the Bible, and the shortest chapter in all the Bible, you jump two psalms. And then you get to the longest chapter in the Bible, and the longest chapter in Psalm. Psalm 117 had two verses and five lines. Psalm 119 has 176 verses and 315 lines. In his Treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon devotes over 349 pages to this song. I started to read 349 pages to you, but I didn't know if we wanted to eat supper here tonight or not. So... (laughs) Another evangelical of the 19th century, <coughs> Charles Bridges wrote 481 pages about it. And most probably impressive of all is the work of a Puritan writer named Thomas Manton. He wrote a three-volume work on Psalms 119, totaling 1,677 pages. It's a good thing these people don't write our Bible because we wouldn't be able to carry it with a Jeep. So, <laughs> Do you want to know all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet? All you got to do is look at Psalm 119 because in Psalm 119, at the head of each stanza, and the stanzas are eight each, is the first, then the second, then the third, all 22 letters of the Greek alphabet. Printed right there in your Bible. The first one it says. Aleph. A-L-E-P-H. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. You go to the last part of the song. You get the 22nd letter. Of the Greek. I mean of the Hebrew. Alphabet. It's made up. <coughs> the psalm of 22 stanzas and each stanza has eight verses and each verse is two lines long and each stanza begins sequentially with the first letter of the alphabet the first letter then the second stanza the second all the way through so it's remarkable to see how God has arranged this We really don't know who wrote this psalm. There are some people that attribute it to David, but most people just say they don't know. But the tradi- there's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that says King David used this psalm to teach his son Solomon the Hebrew alphabet and the alphabet of spiritual life. The most striking feature of this psalm is that each verse, with only a very few exceptions, refer to the Word of God. There are at least eight different synonyms 
the Jewish rabbi say ten. In the scripture that denote this psalm, are words for scripture that are used interchangeably, that mean the same thing. Law, word, rulings or ordinances, testimonies, commandments, decrees or statutes, precepts or charges, sayings, promises or word, and maybe path or way. They all mean the word of God, the complete total of what God says. The rabbi said that there are ten synonyms for the scriptures in this psalm, one for each of the Ten Commandments. So look briefly, which is what we're doing this morning, at the first eight verses, the first stanza of Psalm 119. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. You can see an echo of the first psalm in the first verse. How blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of, of the, that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We know that most people, you know, would answer the question about what's going to make you happy. We know how they would answer that. We don't have to go into it all. But we know that what they choose really won't make them happy. Because sin always warps and destroys even our best accomplishments. Scripture tells us that the path to a happy life, the Bible's word for it is blessedness is conforming to the law of God. And generally when the Bible talks about the law law of God, it references all of God's word. Everything that's spoken and everything that's written. And it includes words like testimonies and promises and charges and ways. The blessedness that these verses speak of It's for those who walk according to God's law and keep his statutes. So from the beginning, we're to understand that keeping the law is a practical matter. It's a way of life. It's not just a regiment of academic study. So keeping the law is not just studying, but it's the way you conduct your life. On the other hand, It's clear that we can't live by the Bible if we don't know it at all, and if we don't know it well. Psalm 1, 2 says, we must meditate on it day and night. What if I ask you to memorize Psalm 117? Well, that's two verses. 
I think I can handle that. And you could probably do it. I mean, it's not the Jabberwocky, but... <laughs> so you could probably say, I can handle two verses. I can do that. Now, what if I told you that in years past by, that it was not uncommon for people to memorize Psalm 118. I mean, 119. All 176 verses. In the 19th century, a British writer named John Ruskin was raised by a devout Christian mother. And he made, she made him memorize large portions of the Bible. He memorized Psalm 23, 32, 90, 91, 103, 112, 119, and 139, to name a few. Later in life, Ruskin wrote this concerning Psalm 119. It is strange that of all the pieces of the Bible which my mother taught me, that which cost me the most to learn and which was, to my childish mind, chiefly repulsive, the 119th Psalm has now become of all the most precious to me in its overflowing and glorious passion of love for the law of God. And I think as we read it over a period of weeks, you're going to see that, that it just overflows with the power that comes from the love of the Word of God. That when that center in our lives changes everything. William Wilberforce, who is credited with being the prime person to uh, cause slavery to be banned in the British Empire, he wrote this in his diary in 1819. Walk today from Hyde Park Corner, repeating the 119th Psalm in great comfort. David Livingston, the pioneer missionary to Africa, won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher by repeating Psalm 119 by heart when he was nine years old. I'm way, way behind him. <laughs> the reason we're not happy is that we sin. And the main reason we sin as much as we do is that we don't know the Bible well enough. These verses say that happy people do no unrighteousness. They do nothing wrong. How have they learned to do no wrong? They have learned to walk in God's way and obey his precepts. Look at what it says in this one stanza. It says walk. It says keep. It says obey. It says learn. The psalmist, though, is just very much like we are. He's a godly man, but he's very aware of, his un of how ungodly he still is. And that's not a contradiction. He says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He knows he can't keep it without the grace of God. And we know that too. 
And this is what Paul echoes in Romans 7 when he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. It's got to be the grace of God. If it's not, we're sunk. We're undone. And just like us, the psalmist, he's not attained the obedience that he yearns for. And he admits it. But it's possible to be honest about your faults, your shortcomings, about what you want, but never make any progress toward a better a betterment or more obedient life. But this man doesn't want progress to be an unattainable thing. He wants to make progress. And how determined was he? The last line tells us. He says, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. He he knows God said that I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. He says this in Hebrew. But he knows it because it also says this in Deuteronomy. So what he's asking is for God to stay beside him in his determination to live according to God's law. He knows he can't do it, but he knows God will be with him in his determination to do it. So the question for us in this, in this short message right now, is how determined are we? How determined am I? Because he tells us what's going to happen if we are, and he tells us what's going to happen if we're not. Let's pray. Lord, all your attributes are one. There's nothing that can be subtracted because they are all a part of who you are. Your steadfastness, Lord, is attached to your love. Lord, it's everlasting. It cannot be overcome. It's promised to us. You've called us to be yours. You've also called us to be determined. You've caused us to to see who you are, to call on your name, to know that apart from you we can do nothing, but to know that you will never forsake us. You will never abandon us. Lord, help us to be steadfast, even as you're steadfast. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.